good, good to be with you all today. I am so excited about what God is doing here among us. And uh, this time, just being together in His presence is just one of those things. How special to celebrate the goodness of God and just what He's done in our lives. So I'm so thankful for our team that leads us here, the team that facilitates in the back. And um, we're, we're actually going to be talking today about uh, just how we serve the Lord together by serving one another. And uh, it's just such a, a, a wonderful thing to consider what happens when we do that. Um, so I just want to reiterate uh, what Allison shared. We are so excited about this event coming up in two weeks, Team Trinity Recharge. Our desire is to feed, celebrate, and strengthen those of you who serve the Lord at Trinity Church and, and on behalf of Trinity Church out in our community. So we want to really encourage you to come Saturday morning and, and enjoy those things together. Also, we've got the Serve Expo outside. So this, is, uh, this month, we're actually talking about two very important aspects of our faith, serving and fellowship, being a part of community together. So the first two weeks, we have the Serve Expo, and I, we, um, Brad Smith came up to me and said, hey, we don't have a, a tent for our safety team, and we need people. So uh, I, I told him, I would tell you specifically, go talk to Brad if you'd like to help out with that ministry. They facilitate what we do on this campus, especially Sunday mornings to keep us safe, but also during the week. So uh, they'll be out on, at the hospitality tent out on the lawn. So it's, it's uh, pretty interesting that today we're actually talking about serving the Lord together. And uh, that's the topic, and we're going to be thinking about what happens when we do, and here it is. God changes us. God uses people who are His followers to help change His followers. And that's what happens when we actually serve the Lord together. And I want you to think, are there things in your life that you wish would change? A lot of our songs today talked about the change that happens when God comes into our lives. We we're singing about addictions being broken, about overcoming sins, about having joy in the Lord, about things that are dead being made alive. That is the change that happens through the Lord when we serve one another. Are there things in your life, things that actually can change, that you would like to see change? Does anybody would like to see more patience? All right, that would help uh, me and probably my family a whole bunch if God would continue that work in my life. How about self-control, self-discipline? How about other things that maybe are a little bit more mm, like anger? Or what about just joy? I just don't have that sense of joy in my life. God, I want you to change me. How about this in your workplace or maybe at school? I just have a hard time loving people. And I hurt people by the way I respond sometimes. Maybe it's the people in your own home. Maybe it's addictions. Those things we sang about, just God, I just want you to break that stronghold in my life. God can do it. That's the good news. And he does that work all the time. 
And that's what we get to look at today is how does he do that? What does God want us to know about he, how he works to change us? That's what we're going to be asking. And Paul actually described this process, and he calls it ministry. Now, that's a churchy word, right? Ministry. We're, we have all our ministries outside, right? And we're inviting you to serve and take part in them. But ministry is simply this. It's the means by which God changes us through Jesus. If you're new to the faith, that word simply means ministry. It's going to come up today. The original language, it simply means service. And it means service specifically on behalf of another. That's what the word ministry means. But here's the main ministry of the Lord, changing us, working in people's lives to bring hope and healing and eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what God's doing. And we get to be a part of it. God uses us. So Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, which is where we're at together as a church. Last week, he said this. He said, God uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. And then he follows that up with this question. Who is sufficient for these things? Was Paul sufficient to do the ministry that God had called him to do? Are your leaders at Trinity Church sufficient? Am I sufficient? Are you sufficient? Will our next lead pastor be sufficient? There's an answer to that question, and it's in the Bible, and it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So I'd encourage you to turn there in your Bibles. We're going to be following along today. We're in this series called A Transforming Journey, and today we get to talk about that word transforming, transformation. So as we lean in to what God has to say, let's just pause and pray. Heavenly Father, I love that uh, we can spend this time with you joyfully celebrating who you are and the work that you do in our lives through faith in Jesus. I thank you for each one here. I thank you that you have spoken to us through your word, through your son Jesus. And I pray that we would really listen to what you have to say to us today, both individually but also as a community, as a, as a community of Christ followers who call themselves Trinity Church. We pray that you would be glorified in Jesus' name, amen. So the first way that God works in our lives is that he works relationally and he works at the heart level. That's on your screen, in your notes today. God works relationally. He uses relationships with each other to change us, to work in our lives. And that comes from the first three verses of 2 Corinthians 3. So I'm going to read these together. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you you yourselves are our letter 
written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So Paul uses this metaphor of a letter of recommendation right out the gates. Who do you ask to write a letter of recommendation for you? Somebody who knows you and thinks highly of you, right? And so, so Paul, it's the same in Paul's day. In fact, commentators said that when the church was growing, if, if we were going to send one of, our, one of us to another town, we would send them with a letter by somebody that they knew saying, hey, we commend this person to you. That's a letter of recommendation. And so Paul had this relationship with the Corinthians. And just to remind you, the Corinthians were not treating Paul very well. They were over him, right? The, the problem in that church, and he really addresses it in the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians, is they were enamored with other leaders who were, who were more talented, who had more charisma, who seemed to have more powerful ministry. And so they were over Paul, and they were starting to disregard him and his companions. And so he's hurt by this, and it's almost like he's saying to them, hey, listen, do we need this, another letter? Like, don't we know each other, and aren't we close? And he says, no, we don't need a letter. You're our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. Everybody knows that it was through us that God brought his spirit into your lives and brought about the change that comes when you turn to Jesus. Don't forget that. So Paul says it was through this relationship. Now, Paul and his companions, Paul stopped in Corinth. He was on his second missionary journey, and he was toward the end of it. And he stops in Corinth, probably just for a little time to, to, to minister there. He uh, joined Priscilla and Aquila because they were in the same trade. They both were tent makers, it says. He lived in their home, and something amazing happened the synagogue leader, Crispus, became a follower of Jesus. And the gospel began in that town, and the church was born. And all of a sudden, Paul's short mission trip turned into 18 months. He stayed with the Corinthians, teaching them, discipling them for 18 months because he loved them. And in this letter, you guys, oh, before I go to this part, one commentator said it this way. Oh, Mule, this is on the screen, aptly comments that Paul's credentials are not on paper, but in persons. Today, most people in churches recognize it's not the degrees earned that truly commend a minister, but rather the degree of concern for the lives of others and the willingness to sacrifice for them. Paul loved the Corinthian believers so much that no less than seven times he's going to tell them in this letter. The first time came up last week. I just want you to look at these on the screen. He said last week, I wrote you to let you know the abundant love I have for you. 
And then in coming up, we're going to see these things that he says, our heart is wide open. You are in our hearts. You excel in our love for you. God knows I do love you. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. All of this is for your upbuilding, beloved. That's how Paul felt about the Corinthians. And here's the crazy thing. They weren't being very lovable. They weren't showing much love to him in return. And yet Paul persevered and he kept offering them love and he kept ministering to them. Looking back at verse 3, Paul reminds them that what God has done in your lives, he says, is a result of our ministry. What God has done is a result of our ministry. And then he describes the ministry, and he says a little bit later on, it's not actually my ministry, it's the ministry of the Spirit. And that's what he says in, in the first verses, right? Who's the one writing the letter? Right? Christ is writing the letter. And what's he writing with? Ink? No, he says he's writing with the Holy Spirit's. He's writing with God himself, is writing this letter, making this change in your hearts. You guys, this is referring to what Paul's going to call in the next verse, the new covenant. He's going to say, I'm a, I'm a minister to, according to the new covenant. And this comes from the Old Testament, and God himself is saying, hey, listen, this is what I'm going to do. And he's talking about the coming of Christ forgiveness of sins, and how is life change going to happen in the new covenant? And so I just want to point this out to you. This is what Paul's thinking of, and you're going to see the language in, that he's using. In Ezekiel 36, this is God speaking. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And I'm going to put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You will dwell in the land that I give to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I shall be your God. God works through relationships at the heart level, a relationship with himself. Jeremiah says it this way, very similar. God says it this way through Jeremiah. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after these, those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So Paul's telling the Corinthians, this is what happened to you. You're that letter. God's doing this. And he used us. And that asks, begs the question, what kind of people does he use? And that come, brings us to our second point. God works by using inadequate ministers who themselves are in process. God works by using inadequate people. People who may not be that impressive People who may still be struggling with anger or learning how to love, 
That's who God uses to minister because he's working in the minister's life too. <laughs> and that's what Paul says here. So take a look at 2 Corinthians 4. Uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians 3. Look at verse 4. He says, such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He's made us competent as ministers of the new covenant. There it is. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So confidence to do ministry, Paul says, does not come from being super competent people. But it comes from the Spirit of God. He's the one who's doing the ministry. Don't get me wrong. There are skills and there are um, uh, talents that should be observable and can be developed in ministry. Think of being a parent, right? I'm not just going to go at it and just try to figure it out. I want to learn how to be the best parent I can be. So the ministry of parenting is something I can get better at. But listen to this. The bottom line that determines success is not the human competence, but it's the spiritual presence. It's the presence of the Spirit of God in the person's life that is doing the ministry. That's what brings success. And that's what Paul's trying to show them is, you guys aren't really impressed with us. That We don't care. It's not us that's doing this work, is it? It's the Holy Spirit. It's God himself that makes us adequate for ministry. So, remember that to minister means to render service on another's behalf. And it, ironically, it actually has this idea of being a courier, carrying a message. Isn't that neat that Paul sees himself as a minister, as one who's delivering an important message from God into the lives of the Corinthian people? He's saying, in essence, it's okay, you're not impressed because I'm bringing God's message and God's at work in me. And here's the example. First of all, before we get to Paul, I want to share something. When I was 20 years old, I see a couple young adults in this room. I was starting to do worship ministry, and I felt really inadequate. And the Lord used this passage to give me the courage that I don't have to feel adequate, that it's the Lord himself who's going to make me competent to do what I need to do. And, and it wasn't just the skills. I can get better at the skills of leading worship, what really, what really was hard for me is I didn't feel spiritually adequate to stand before people when I knew that there was sin in my own life or I knew that I was far from God that week. And I learned to trust God, to let Him change me when those, sense, those areas that I needed to be changed. Paul and his companions were also in process. And I'm going to show you this. By going back to chapter 1, Paul says that they were, let me find it, they were utterly burdened beyond their own strength. Why? 
This was so that they would learn to rely not on themselves, but on God. He's saying God allows this struggle that we're in to teach us to stop relying on ourselves. And then later on, Paul's going to say, God gave me this thorn in the flesh, this maybe this physical ailment, and it wouldn't go away. Why did God give it to me? To show me that his grace was sufficient, that his power is made perfect in weakness. Paul and his companions were all also in process, and yet God used them in the Corinthians' lives. And that's his point. Hey, folks, your leaders at Trinity Church are in process. God is using some of the things, the challenges that we've had in our church to change us. And you are in process. God is changing you. He's changing us together. That's how he works. There's this beautiful picture before we move on to our last point. Ephesians 4 is a parallel passage where Paul expands the concept of ministry, and it's not his point today, but I want you to see this because it's really important, okay? Look at this parallel passage. Christ himself, as he says, gave the apostles, that's Paul, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, the leaders of the church to equip his people for the works of service. That's the work of ministry. That's what it says in other translations. So that the body of Christ may be built up until the congregation reaches unity in the faith. No, until we all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's what God's doing among us all as we minister together. We often use the phrase, this is the transformation, right? This journey towards maturity, towards unity in the faith, towards the knowledge of God. Beautiful picture of what we call, sometimes in the church, spiritual formation. And we use that word, two words. One, formation, meaning God's forming in us. He's transforming us to look more like Christ. Spiritual, because it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I missed that slide the first time in our service. It's in your, I think it's in your notes, but every one of these points, Paul's going to be quick to say, it's the Holy Spirit who does the ministry. And he's going to get really specific about it now, and he's actually going to call it the ministry of the Spirit. We sang about the Holy Spirit in our first song, Praise the Father, Praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. So the Spirit of God is doing the work of transformation, and then that song had the word glory in it. We're going to see the word glory 12 times. This becomes the center issue of what God is doing as he's changing us, is glory. So um, it's coming and I want to unpack that a little bit. Um, Paul's going to shift the focus away from him because they're not impressed with him anyway. He's going to fix the focus to the ministry that God's doing, and he's going to try to blow their minds. And I hope he blows our minds today as we kind of finish out in this passage. 
So what's the problem again? We get enamored by the human element, don't we? You guys, we are in an age where every, the most talented ministers are on the internet, and any one of us can find them and listen to them. And you guys, I'm, it's a good thing. There are some amazing, godly men and women who are teaching God's Word, and, and God is transforming lives. But it is wrong when we become enamored with them, and we miss that it's Christ. It's the message of the gospel. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit through common, ordinary people who you have a relationship where the real life change happens. And that's the corrective that Paul's going to try to bring in this next section. So here it is. This is over my head. Um, if I don't get everything right, Doug's going to correct me next week, all right? So here we go. <laughs> He's going to set us straight next week. Um, read with me here is chapter se uh, verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, a.k.a. the Ten Commandments, right, came with glory so that the Israelites couldn't even look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, and it was, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious had no glory, has no glory at all in comparison to the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory, coming to an end, came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Paul's talking about the new covenant versus the old covenant. He's making comparison here. And this is heavy. This is a lot of context is this story of the giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 33 and 34. So if you want to, like, see an awesome story, you need to spend some time there. I'm just going to summarize it quickly. Moses, the leader of the people of Israel, is meeting with God, and he's saying, God, I can't do this job. I can't do it. This ministry is too much. If you don't go with us, I'm out. And so God says, Moses, I approve of you, and I will go with you. You can count on it. Moses gets really bold, and he says these words, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And the Lord isn't put off by that. And he says, listen, Moses, you can't see my face but I will show you my glory. You need to come up to the mountain. And so God shows Moses his glory. How does he do it? He says, I'm going to proclaim my name. That's my glory, is who I am. And so he says, I'm the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love, and faithfulness, blessing generations for thousands of years, thousands of generations, forgiving iniquities, rebellion, and sin. And he says, this is who I am. And then he gives Moses the Ten Commandments, the letters carved on stone. 
And Moses comes down from the mountain, and guess what? He's glowing from being with God. Like, literally, he's glowing, and that's glory. Glory has a sense to it of radiance, radiance, beauty that is so majestic, so awesome. Glory is this sense of, of awe. And, the, and so Moses, after being with God, would glow physically, and he'd put a veil on so that the Israelites, maybe they couldn't see the glory because they were staring at him, and he was like, you're looking at me, it's not about me. Or maybe it's because it was fading, I don't know why, but he put a veil on. And Paul's going to refer to this veil coming up. So, okay, that's the story, right? Ten Commandments. Paul, uh, Paul is saying, that was glorious, but what's happening right now in your lives through the Spirit, so glorious, it outshines it. I was thinking, what's in a good example of that? The moon and the sun. The moon is glorious at night, isn't it? Do you notice the moon when it's up there in the sky at the height of day? We don't see it at all, do we? Oh, it's there sometimes. But the sun completely outshines it. He's saying that's, that's what happened when Jesus came into your lives. You're now in this new covenant. God's changing you. It's glorious. Okay, Doug's going to straighten out any of that. That uh, isn't clear to you next week. No, I'm kidding about that. Um, you know, um, this process uh, Paul talks about is the ministry of righteousness. The ministry of death, we're all guilty of breaking the Ten Commandments, folks. We're all guilty and we're condemned. He calls it the ministry of condemnation. But what Christ has done, he calls the ministry of righteousness. He's made us right before God, and he's making us righteous through this transformation that comes through his Holy Spirit. So here's the third way that God works. It's in the transforming or changing us to become more like Christ. This is the glory that Paul's talking about, you guys. The glory of what happens in our lives, and so God works, here's in your notes, towards the ongoing transformation of us all into the image of Christ. And it really takes us back to Paul's first point. He's saying the Holy Spirit is writing this on your hearts. You are changed people because the Holy Spirit is in your life now. And he's talking about that change that comes and he says we're being changed into the likeness of Christ, the image of Jesus. But guess what it takes for that to happen? He's going to say it. You have to turn to the Lord. You have to turn to the Lord. Take a look at verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who'd put this veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, the fading glory of being in God's presence. Their minds were made dull, for to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, 
a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who's the Spirit. Paul and his companions are doing one main thing, and they're doing it boldly because they know it's not their gifts that's ministering and bringing change in people's lives. It's the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus. It's the message of the cross and the resurrection But it all begins when one turns to the Lord. If, if one does not turn to the Lord, this doesn't happen. And so Paul's going to say in the next chapter, he's going to say, we proclaim Jesus. That's it. That's our job. Our ministry is proclaiming Jesus and ourselves as servants for his sake, for your sakes, he says. That's coming next week, so come back for that. He talks about freedom. We sang about it. How wonderful. I mean, we really sang about it today. That's what happens when one turns to the Lord. Freedom. Freedom from condemnation. Paul doesn't qualify it here, but we know that's what he's referring to. Freedom from condemnation. Freedom from slavery to sin. Freedom from being destined to die and being made alive in Christ. And that freedom's reflected. It ought to be reflected in our joy, in our lives, in what we do. And so I, as we come to the end this morning, I'm, I'm gonna, I want to come back to the word glory, because that's where Paul is resting on this. He's saying, this is so glorious, you guys don't even see it. But I'm trying to blow your minds with it. What helps me grasp the meaning of this word is the idea of something that is so wonderful, so beautiful, that it blows your mind and you can't fully comprehend it. There's a song from the 80s. I'm going to take you guys back, and we're actually going to sing it together if you'd like to. Just the verse and chorus, but I think it describes the glory of God without ever using that word. And it uses this word, this phrase, beauty beyond description. And I really believe that when we look at the Lord, when we turn to the Lord, this is what we see. We see beauty beyond description. And this is how this artist, Mark Altrobe, I think, tried to capture the glory of God. I encourage you to sing with me if you know it. You are beautiful beyond description Too marvelous for words Too wonderful for comprehension Like nothing ever seen or heard 
can grasp your infinite wisdom who can fathom the depth of your love you are beautiful beyond description majesty so much fun as I was planning the sermon, just thinking of glory. What are those moments in your lives where God has given you an image that has just struck you with awe to where you couldn't even speak? That's glory. Here's some images that came to mind. Maybe some of you, I'm sure you have your own experiences, but the redwood tree. I don't have words. I stand in front of that thing feeling so small and just thinking, God, you designed that seed, that little itty-bitty seed to grow into that. The Grand Canyon. If you stand in front of the Grand Canyon, you can hardly, you're like, I, I don't know how to explain that. I'm speechless. My bride, on her wedding day, whoo, talk about radiance, right? I just saw her coming toward me, and I was done. <laughs> that was glory. Is anybody friends with this guy on Facebook or Instagram? Bruce Herwig captures photos of the, the cosmos. The psalmist David in Psalm 19 said, the heavens declare the glory of God. Captures our, our wonder Here's the crazy thing about that tree. That ancient bristlecone pine was alive when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. That's amazing that God would create something that would live that long. Over 4,000 years of age, some of those trees. Tony and Celeste, they just celebrated 34 years July 30th, I have never seen a more beautiful example of the transforming work in a person's life than what God has done and is doing in Tony and Celeste. They gave me permission to share their story with you. Tony was, is a friend of mine. We served on this stage in worship many, many years he had a huge influence on my life as a worship leader, as a guitarist. Ten years ago, Tony had some secrets in his life, some addictions, some sin. It was out of control, and he couldn't manage it. And he self-destructed. And of course, it destroyed his marriage. His marriage was gone, blown up. 
But Tony turned to the Lord. And little by little, God began that transforming work in his life, in his heart. And he's doing this, he did the same in Celeste's life. She decided to stick it out with him. And God began to change her. And now they're celebrating 34 years of marriage, 10 years later almost. That's what God can do when you turn to the Lord. And that's what this last verse is about. And I believe God wants to do that and is doing that in lives in this room. And that is an extraordinary way that he's done that and he's not done doing it. They'll be the first to say we're in process still. God works to transform us in little ways and in really big ways. And this is how he does it. And I'm going to come down because this is really important. Let's look at this last verse, 18, because it begins with this phrase, and we all, we all, leaders, congregation, those of us who followed the Lord for 40 years, for 50, 60 years, those of us who are brand new believers, those of you who are just starting to turn to the Lord, we all, with unveiled faces, that's a picture of turning to the Lord in its most simple understanding. The scripture says that when Moses would go to be with the Lord, he would take the veil off. And so it's a picture of a community of people who have turned to the Lord together. Contemplate the Lord's glory. Contemplate is in a good translation of this word because it means I don't just turn to the Lord, but I fix my gaze on the Lord. I'm contemplating. I'm not letting my mind go away. I'm not letting my heart go away. Another word that our scriptures use is beholding the glory of the Lord. But here's the word that's reflected if you have the old NIV, reflecting the glory of the Lord. And I think Paul wanted that definition because here's what he's meaning. When we turn to the Lord, we begin to reflect his glory. People can see what God's doing in your life, and it gives him more glory. We're being transformed into his image. Another word for image is his likeness. We are becoming like Christ in our character, in our attitudes, in our actions, and this is the most important one, in our hearts. That's where he does the work. Our hearts are beginning to be like God's heart. With ever-increasing glory, the radiance, as we're turning to the Lord together, the radiance of what God is doing is being reflected, and it's ever-increasing. It's becoming more and more beautiful. That's what happens to us. And then one last reminder, where does this come from? It comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It doesn't come from the minister. I can't change anyone. I can't even change myself. But the Spirit can. You guys, 
Tony and Celeste would be the first to tell you that the reason that they are where they're at is because people came alongside of them and they ministered to them. So many people, they wouldn't even list because they didn't want to leave somebody out. But I know some of you in this room ministered to Tony and Celeste. And I want to say thank you. Some of you who had walked through a similar situation ministered to their lives and helped them walk, keep their eyes on the Lord to where they can be transformed. And here's the amazing thing. Guess what they're doing today? They're helping others. They are ministering to others with the same comfort that they received from the Lord and from the body of Christ. They're, they're caring for others. There are people today in this church and in this room who would say, I have found freedom in Christ over sexual addiction because of Tony's work ministering to me along with other men. God can do that, and he's doing it. There are men in this room, men and women, who would say, I think my marriage has, was saved in, in part because of Tony and Celeste's work ministering to us. And they're still doing it, by the way. They're still gathering and they're doing that. And if you would like to be connected to them, they would love to minister to you. There are others among Trinity Church who are doing that same ministry. And you know what? God is working in so many other ways. I've got this one big way that's just so beautiful I had to tell you about it. God's ministering right now through people to our students, to our kids, right? They're helping kids turn to the Lord. That's what ministry is. And in doing it, God changes us too. So, in closing, I'd like to give you some homework. I'm a former teacher. Teachers do this for a good reason. I want you to talk to each other at some point, maybe outside, maybe over lunch, about stories where you've seen God do transformation. It could be somebody close to you. It could be in your own life. Or maybe pray with someone about a, a transformation that you know God is at work at and you need, you need more, more help in this area. Just to really sense, God, this is a beautiful work you're doing and it's a, it's a continual work. There's no flip of a switch. But God is glorified. His Spirit does the work, but He does it through you, and you, and you, as you minister in Jesus' name. And I believe that God is changing Trinity Church, too. He's transforming us as his people for more of that kind of work to happen. And it starts with us, and then it extends to the whole world. Wherever God sends us, God uses us in ministry. He uses you in your homes. He uses you in your work. It's not limited to what happens here on a Sunday morning. This is equipping. So, let me pray, and then we'll, uh, we're going to worship. Somebody asked me, why do we need to come and gather it in church on Sunday mornings? It's because we need to behold the glory of the Lord together. Isn't that true? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful 
for this group of people. I know there are countless stories of your good work in people's lives. Marriages saved, but people who even walk through divorce, that you have used that to shape their hearts and given them beauty of grace and ministry and a deeper faith and a walk with you. God, nothing is wasted and nothing is impossible for you. I pray that this kind of work would would excel more. There would be ever-increasing glory, and it would be captured in the stories that we're telling about what you're doing and how great you are. Help us to stand in awe of you, even as we close and worship today. In Jesus' name.